Pastor Xavier Reese offers this thought on the validity of prophecy. God uses prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many of those, telling us things before they happen so when they happen they knew it would be God. And so God has always communicated to man what he's going to do. He doesn't leave him in the dark. He told Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's telling John, I'm going to come back in judgment. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier, it's understood that the Bible is God's written Word to us and for us, but there sometimes seems to be a fear or misunderstanding when it comes to the message in the book of Revelation. You know, that is true in a sense, and in another sense it isn't, because um, the book of Revelation, God gives us the table of contents for it in the first chapter. And that table of contents keeps us in line with the outline, with what God has in store there. Now, there are many things that we can't be absolutely sure and dogmatic on, but we do have the outline for it. We do know the events that are going to take place and the time intervals often. And everything in the Old Testament has been prophesied. Really, the book of Revelation doesn't give anything really new, but brings it all together. So in the first chapter, you have Jesus Christ, the glorified Christ, the things he saw. In chapter 2 and 3, you have the things that are, the message to the churches and warning of the upcoming judgment of the tribulation, great tribulation. Chapter 4 and 5, the church is removed from the earth. She is before the throne of God. Then from chapter 6 to 19, you have the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ. And so the outline is pretty easy and working through it, Everything is interpretive for us. There's very little that is not interpretive for us in the book of Revelation, if you read it in its context. So to me, it's one of the easiest books in one aspect. And the other one is that we have to be careful we're not too dogmatic and absolute in the areas that we cannot be absolutely sure. And so it certainly is an exciting book. And every Christian should understand it and know what God has in store for the world as we look to His coming. I pray that if... uh, You are going to be a listener that you respond in one way or another by email that you may let us know if God is using the program and helping you to grow in the Lord. Well, that's what we're here for each day, teaching the Word so that you do grow in your walk. Now, won't you get in touch so we know you're being reached? Address your comments via email to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. Or if you prefer pen and paper, you can always address a note to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Now, I'll be repeating all that after the message, so please get in touch soon. But for now, here's Pastor Xavier getting started this new series of revelation that he just recently completed here at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. Let's listen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The book of Revelation is history written in advance, and Christ is the key figure. Everything else revolves around him and is subject to him in this book. John the Apostle opens up the book of Revelation as he did in his gospel with a prologue. And we want to focus on these opening three verses, which qualify the entire book of Revelation 
at the very introduction as being divinely inspired revelation. And it's evident by three truths. Let me read them. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Here's the three truths that qualify this book as divine revelation. First, the heavenly communication, verse 1. Secondly, the earthly affirmation, verse 2. And then thirdly, the spiritual compensation, which is in verse 3. Three things that from the beginning prove and give evidence of divine inspiration of this book, not to mention everything else that we'll see. But from the start, boom, he nails it. The heavenly communication is given to us in verse 1. Notice the person of the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation is of him. He is the ultimate. He is everything God has spoken about from Genesis to Revelation. The name Jesus, as you know, represents his past earthly existence in humanity, emphasizing that humanity, veiling his majesty and glory when he came because we can't see God. He is so holy, so pure that he would destroy us. So he veiled his glory in this human form in the incarnation. Now, the name and title marks the authority needed to be the representative of man before God. He's the last Adam, but now the victorious Christ. The work of atonement has been accomplished. He is reigning, he is ruling, he's waiting for his father to make his enemies his footstool and to return. And this is what the book of Revelation is all about. He brings forth truth. He is the very word of God who conquered death and holds the keys of Hades and death, verse 16 through 18 said. He is directing the angels of the seven churches, verse 20 says of chapter 1. He's in control. He reveals the promise of redemption to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. They would have never had any idea about it. He revealed it. He revealed to the prophets the coming incarnation of God as he would become man. Genesis 49.10, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6.7, Micah 5.2, just to mention a few. And he kept his word as God became flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word, John 1.1. 1, 1. In verse 14 of John 1, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2.6 and 8 through 8, being in the form of God. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself. And became a servant. He took on the form of a servant. Obedient to the death of the cross. And he veiled that glory. In human form. God is at work. In redemption even now. As we know in the New Testament. And John makes this clear also. As he speaks to the churches. And he's working to bring in. The final act. 
The kingdom is present, but is yet to come, right? Now notice the pattern is given to us of the revelation. In verse 1 there still, which God gave him, he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So God the Father is the source of the revelation, the first person of the Trinity. So we must distinguish between the two persons, God and him, capital H. God the Father gave the revelation to the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, is the channel of the revelation, the second person of the Trinity. God the Son gave the revelation to his angel, true to his nature, an office of mediator between God and man. Now look at the word signified. It means to give a sign with the idea of figurative representation, which is exactly the character of the book. We have visions, symbols, types, and all kinds of symbolic language, figurative language. It's the very character of the book. Jesus used the word when he said, listen, in, in John 12, 32 and 33, listen well, you'll get the idea. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This he said, here's the word again, signifying what death he would die. If I'm lifted up, symbolic of the cross. So you have in the book of Revelation, signifying through visions, through, through, through dreams, through types, through figurative language to describe what's going to happen. As you know, the birth of God's Son was also revealed by the angels in Luke 2, 10 through 14. Now here, the angel revealing the second coming, the things that are going to come. The angel gave the revelation to John. Notice, a servant of the Trinity and a servant of man. Angels serve God, as you know, uh, day and night in their various capacities uh, and various orders. So uh, the book of Revelation, the angel has a part in bringing these revelations also. Probably this, whether this is the same angel all the way through or not, we're not sure. But in chapter 22, verse 16, it could be the same angel where he says, don't bow to me, worship God. I'm only a servant like you are. I serve God. Good thing. No idolatry. <laughs> uh, Santana is into the worship of angels. Big thing. A lot of people are into worship of angels. Don't worship angels. They're created beings. Worship God who created them. Very important. And notice, thirdly, we get the purpose of the revelation in verse 1. To show his servants things which must shortly take place. God the Father gave the revelation to Jesus to show to his servants. The revelation of God can only be made known by God. Now, speedily with the idea of suddenly and without delay. In other words, it can happen at any time. The revelation is one of warning. Notice that about divine judgment to take place on the earth. In fact, Paul uses this word in Romans 16, 20, when he says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, suddenly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In fact, John's warning is very specific in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, From the hour, with the article, 
of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who are on the earth, literally earth dwellers. We the believer are not earth dwellers. We are sojourners, pilgrims. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. God will remove his church as we will see before that great hour. What's the purpose of Revelation? To warn those who don't know Christ and for us to be at peace that no matter how difficult it gets in life, we will be out of here before the great tribulation. Real simple. The last days, we know, began with the coming of Jesus Christ the first time. They will go all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. His kingdom will be established as he fights the battle of Armageddon and set up the kingdom. We find that in chapter 19 when we get there. What a difference from today's pronosticators who promise so much to know the future. You have Cleo on the television. (laughs) You have all these numbers you can call. You have right down the street here, since we've been here for 20-some years, you have a psychic house. And people pay to go have their future read, to be told. And they're so off the wall. Everything is so generality, nothing specific. Demons accompany much of this type of activity because they know the past, they know the present, and they attempt to put together the future by it. But there are always generalities. And since they know you, your ancestors, and where you've been, they can pretty well determine what you're thinking, what you're doing. But it has nothing to do with knowing the future. Only God knows the future. This is God revealing the future. Not like the quacks of today and hucksters who are laughing all the way to the bank. Only in America. (laughs) God reveals himself to man through the person of his son, as you know, as we just finished studying Hebrews. He cannot be searched out or grasped by human wisdom or intellect alone. This is one of the failures of many people who go to church that are real academic. They think that they can conclude that God is by their own intellect. No. He reveals himself. Listen to Paul as he tells the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, um, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jew, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, knowledge. And so you always have this tension. God reveals himself. The word show means to expose. It appears eight times in Revelation. The word is used by Jesus when he told the leopard, to show himself to the priest in Matthew 8, 4. Visible. He's going to reveal here. The word is used uh, many other times like that in the New Testament. Now notice the servants are the saints. The word servants, doulos, is in the plural. And it means bond servants, those who serve the Lord by choice. It comes from the Old Testament. Remember the ear. They would put a, a hole and, and then put an earring, and you knew that was a bond servant, a slave for life by choice. We are bond servants. Paul addressed himself many times as bond servants of Christ. This is who it's addressed to. Those who have repented 
from their sins by trusting Jesus Christ by faith. Ephesians 2, 89. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Those who are looking for Christ at his coming, as he has promised. John 14, 1 through 3. Be not be afraid. Believe in God. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to receive you unto myself when I come back. He's going to come to receive us. That's the first mention of the rapture in John 14, 1 through 3. You must distinguish his coming back for us from coming back with us to set up the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 4, he comes back for us. 2 Thessalonians, he comes back with us. That's the basic difference between 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Now, God the Father, notice, gave the revelation to Jesus to make known the things which must shortly take place. The things are certain to take place. Mark that well. The word must, underline it. It means of necessity. There is no option. There is no question about it happening. All the events will come to pass because they are the divine decrees of God. They will take place. This word is found eight times in the book of Revelation. The revelation is one of hope indicating that God is the one in control of the future. They are not events at random chance, but divine omnipotence that will bring to an end the evil of the world and the evil one. We know how the story ends. <laughs> I've read the last chapter. <laughs> I've read the last book many, many times. The revelation is one of eminence also notice. By the word shortly, it means suddenly, as we said. So any minute, Jesus can come back. It is imminent. In fact, the prophets of old desired to look into those things, 1 Peter 1, 10, and 12. And sometimes they understood that they were written for them, and sometimes they didn't know. So it wasn't through intellect. They depended on the Spirit of God to turn on the light. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 says, And so we have the prophetic word of confirm, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, meaning it's of no personal or human origin or impulse. For prophecy never came by the will of man, that explains the word interpretation. I wish they wouldn't have put that word interpretation in there, but that defines and explains what it means. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, literally carried along. So what you have, ladies and gentlemen, on your lab is God's inspired and errant, infallible word, what's called in theological circles, plenary verbal inspiration. It's God's word. And so this was the heavenly communication of the revelation. It's God's, not man's. Now notice the second truth in verse 2. We have the earthly affirmation. The person to reveal the revelation to man was John, who bore witness. The apostle John bore witness, 
And the personal pronoun who refers back to John in the previous verb. His servant, Christ's servant. He's the one. John describes himself in his gospel as the one Jesus loved, remember, in John 20, verse 2. John was well known as the apostle of love. All you have to do is read 1 John. (laughs) The phrase bore witness means to testify, to bear record. One gives testimony of what one sees, hears, and knows. And so the apostle here demonstrates that it is God. He reveals, he bears witness of the testimony over and over and over again. Now, the Bible is very clear that the scriptures are God's, far distinct from man's. And yet the attack is always that men wrote it. And we don't have time this morning, but again here John confirms over and over and over again that it is he who uses men, but it is God who is revealing the things of God. John is the revealer. Notice that. He is the one who is revealing this truth. And the mystery of godliness is God's revelation. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up to glory. There's the mystery. As God became man, and as he died for us, he was glorified. And here he's revealed as the glorified Christ over and over again. He bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. God uses prophets. He did in the past. Noah, Abraham, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Ezekiel, many of those. And yet, it was God's plan, God's purposes, telling the things before they happened so when they happened, they knew it would be God. No coincidence. The prophet would have to put his life on the line. If he was wrong one time, they would kill him. I don't see any pronosticators today making that type of proclamation. The primary function of a prophet was to be the mouthpiece of God, as you know. Often people think of prophecy as predictive, future only. No, the primary function of a prophet from the beginning in the Old Testament is being the mouthpiece of God, to communicate the mind and the will of God. Then secondly, there would be predictive statements of the future, but that's the secondary position of a prophet, not the primary one. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God gives nothing unless He reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And so God has always communicated to man what he's going to do. He doesn't leave him in the dark. He told Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's telling John, I'm going to come back in judgment. He always warns men so men have a way of escape. Man is without excuse. Very important. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, reminding us that God will do what He says. Now, you can request a copy of today's thought-provoking lesson titled, God's Final Revelation. It's available on CD for just $4. And this also contains what Pastor Xavier plans to share with us next time we are together. So the title to ask for once again is, God's Final Revelation. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And use that address to send Pastor Xavier your comments of our broadcast so that we know where we're being most effective. To email us, address your comment to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station, however you choose to contact us. Well, we tend to think of history as a study of past events, but join us next time as we continue with our study of God revealing His story and events yet to come. That's coming up on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com